Um, Tonight's Bible reading comes from Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 to 28. So that was Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 to 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Well, good evening, guys. It's great to be with you. My name's Phil. I live up in Narengbar. And uh, some of you, I know a few faces in this church from Mueller. I work half my week at Mueller. Any Mueller people here? Yes, a few. Some of you might recognise my face. I hide in an office at Mueller, so I don't actually see many people anymore. But um, you may know me from there. And uh, it's great to be with you. Why don't we pray? Father God, thank you for uh, just this blessing we have of meeting together as your people tonight, of opening your word and listening to your spirit as he speaks to us from its pages. Uh, Father, would you encourage us? Would you inspire us? Would you challenge us tonight? Uh, We want to listen to you and respond to you. So we ask for your help in this. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, let's start with a quiz. Two boys, Freddie and Jimmy. They have a rich father and their rich daddy gives them a choice. You can either have $1 million right now or I will give you one cent. But I will double that cent every day for a month. Freddie takes $1 million. Jimmy takes the one cent. So... End of the month, who has the most money? Hands up if you think Freddie. Hands up if you think Jimmy. Yes, you saw that coming a mile away, didn't you? Uh, answer is Freddie has $1 million. Jimmy has $5.3 million. I got that off the internet. I tried to work out, so don't blame me if it's wrong. I tried to work out some sort of mathematical puzzle myself, but my math skills weren't up to it, I'm afraid. At least not very quickly without taking half an hour to multiply uh, one cent 30 times over. And so I asked the accountant in our church, because surely she would know a mathematical type of person, but she had no idea either how to do it, believe it or not. So I went to the internet. I suspect that question, though, as soon as you heard that question coming, it may have made you actually inwardly cringe, maybe. Because it reminded you of two unpleasant memories you had in your life. One, high school maths. Not the greatest memory for most of us. But two, it may have reminded you of some kind of Amway sales pitch you had to sit through. Where someone was trying to convince you, if you just give us a little bit of money now... In a little bit of time, if you consistently give, then that will just come back and, and, and be, uh, you'll reap the benefits amazingly. Um, tonight, we're talking about God's kingdom growth. More accurately, the word I want to focus on is multiplication. God's kingdom multiplication. 
And at the risk of sounding a little bit like Amway tonight, God's vision for his kingdom growth is kingdom multiplication. Let me give, be up front and give you a warning. This is a fairly visionary talk. Um, it, you may well say, Phil, you're a little bit unrealistic, you're a little bit naive, you're a little bit idealistic, your heads may be in the clouds. Um, but I'm going to argue that this is God's vision for us. Uh, it's a vision of multiplication. And I'm going to argue that maybe we should lift our eyes higher than what we've been used to seeing. God's vision, as we see in Genesis chapter 1, is multiplication. He says to the first man and woman, uh, be fruitful and fill the earth. And that's what we did. Uh, Verse 28, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And we did that. Uh, God called Abraham to start a nation. And again, he told him, be fruitful multiply, you're going to become a multitude. He started with one miracle baby at the very end of his life. That's all he could produce, one miracle baby. But by the time the book of Exodus comes around, the nation of Israel, Abraham's family, is multiplying so rapidly that Pharaoh has to introduce a culling program because they're taking over Egypt. Rapid multiplication. When we come to the New Testament, we see the church rapidly multiplying. Acts chapter 2, verse 46, 47, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. 5 verse 14, more than ever believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. 6 verse 7, the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly. In Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. 9 verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. And you keep on reading throughout the book of the Acts and the church grows and multiplies and grows and grows and grows. Historically, we know that the Christian church continued to exponentially grow. Uh, Rodney Stark, a historian, sociologist, uh, he says that the church grew from about 1,000 people in the year AD 40 and it reached about 33 million people by AD 350. And that's at, if you work it out, roughly about a rate of 3.5% growth each year which actually isn't all that remarkably huge, but it's just continued growth over a long period of time, which made the difference. Jesus in the Gospels, his methodology is multiplication. That's where he puts his money. He's successful in gathering huge crowds of people, but where Jesus really invests and spends his time is with the few. He invests in 12 fairly ordinary-looking characters, the disciples. He's got a wider group, the 72, who he also invests time in. And Jesus spends so much of his time 
in his three years of public ministry, not only teaching publicly at the synagogue and up mountains, but then drawing aside his disciples and teaching them the meaning of the miracles and, and the deeper meaning of the parables and the sermons that he's just been teaching them and, and drawing out character lessons. He invests so much of his time in the twelve. And then at the end of the Gospels, after Jesus has spent this three-year period, Jesus comes to his disciples and what does he say? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Jesus says, I have spent the last three years making disciples of you. I have made you my disciples. Now it's your turn. Now you go and make disciples. Make disciples of the nations. Now, the inspiration for my sermon tonight uh, is this American church planning conference called Exponential. Anyone heard of Exponential? Exponential is the largest church planting conference in America. And uh, each year they get thousands of people to come. And they get the brightest and the best church planters in America to come and teach. Teach everybody else what they are doing. How to plant churches, how to run church services, how to multiply the work of God. And uh, the last two or three years of this conference, uh, the theme has been, how do we multiply? How do we multiply? And this year, they're calling their conference Level 5. And they've got this language, Level 5. Level 1 is a declining church. There's five types of churches, five levels of churches. Level 1 is a declining church. Level two is a plateauing church. They've done research and 80% of churches in America are either level one or level two, in decline or plateauing, 80%. Level three is a growing church. 16% American churches are growing. Level four is a reproducing church. It's a church which is planting new churches out of it, reproducing church. Uh, Did I say the percent for that? Uh, 16% are growing. Mind you, only 1% of churches are growing by actual conversion growth. Uh, Level 4, planting new churches, reproducing churches, that's just under 4%. Level five is a multiplying church, a church which has got this multiplication movement which cannot be stopped, and they say essentially zero percent in America is multiplying. And what I love about these guys who are leading this exponential conference, I love their honesty because these guys are the most successful, the most innovative, the most fruitful churches in America. And they get their brightest and best to come together and what they are essentially saying is, we want more. Level four is not enough. God wants us to be multiplying churches. Our vision is not big enough. We are missing something. This year, what they're doing is they're getting speakers from other countries in the world. Level five churches. And they're saying, could you come and please teach us American churches? How can we become level five churches? 
They're getting someone to come from China, where the church has grown from 2 million people in 1948 to more than 100 million now. 1948, they got rid of Bibles, they got rid of missionaries, they made it illegal to be to go to church, essentially. And in that time, the church has exponentially grown. Till now, there are more Christians than there are members of the Communist Party. How did they do that? They're getting a guy called Ying Kai from Southeast Asia. He started a movement which, in over 12 months, saw 900 new house churches begin. I don't know how that works. Uh, They're bringing a guy from Kenya, from Nairobi Chapel. Their vision is to plant 300 churches in 20 years, to see 1 million converts, to see 100,000 discipled really deeply. They've planted 96 churches so far. And they've got this church planting training school where they're just churning out hordes of church planters to go all over the world, their own country, throughout Africa. They've started one in London already. They're just churning out people to plant new churches. Now, obviously, to some degree, these sorts of multiplication movements of God's kingdom is a sovereign work of God in the world. God is at work. And there's no sort of slick formula which you can say, tell us what you did and we will copy. But having said that, it's wise, isn't it, to stop and ask the question, what happened there? What's going on? Are we missing biblical principles which they've got hold of? Healthy things grow. Healthy things reproduce and multiply. Should we not be multiplying? And I love these American guys. I love their entrepreneurial spirit in which they're saying, teach us. Teach us how to do this. Come to us from Asia. Teach us what you're doing in Asia. Teach us what you're doing in Africa. Can you come and can you help us to unlock in secular America the multiplying nature of the church of God? In the time I've got left tonight, I just want to share with you Two, what it seems to me, fairly obvious requirements for a multiplication paradigm. Number one, we need to invest deeply in discipleship. What Jesus did, it's obviously essential if we're going to reproduce. We need leaders. We need lots of leaders. Apparently in China they have a saying, when somebody becomes a Christian, now you are a Christian. And one day, it will be your honour to plant a church. hope my Chinese accent was beginning to get there. Not really. Uh, They have a saying, every believer is a church planter. And every church is a church planting church. Yeah, right. Really? Every believer a church planter. Yeah, I'm going to plant a church with... You know, four kids and, yeah, I'm going to plant a church. I'm going to plant a church. I couldn't possibly get up the front and preach a sermon. I couldn't even teach a Sunday school class. Oh, hang on a minute. Consider this. Is it too much to expect every Christian to have a healthy relationship with God? Is that too much? I hope not. 
course, we can expect that every, that's what our goal is to have every Christian having a healthy relationship with God, every Christian loving Jesus. Well, isn't it true that what you love in life, you'll be able to pass on to somebody else? Isn't that true? If you love golf, even if you're not very good at communicating, you'll be able to show someone this is how to swing a golf club. If you love sewing, you'll be able to teach someone. If you love cooking, you'll be able to teach someone else what you love to do. And if you love Jesus, then is it not true that you'll be able to invite one or two people to love Jesus with you, to teach them how you love Jesus? And if you just teach two or three people how to love Jesus with you, guess what? You're a church planner, a mini church planner. You've started the journey. Some people will be able to plant churches, little mini churches of two and three. Some people will lead groups of ten. Some people will lead churches of a hundred. Some people, a few, may be able to lead churches of a thousand. But everybody should be able to lead some kind of church, even if it's just that micro mini church. What we need is everybody to be a disciple maker. Everybody to really love Jesus. If you love Jesus, then you can teach someone else. And so we need to ask the question, do we actually teach people to really love Jesus? Not just attend, not just be involved, but actually love Jesus. Dallas Willard put it this way. Every church needs to answer two questions. Number one, what is our plan for discipleship? Number two, is our plan working? Good questions. What's our plan to see every Christian love Jesus? Question two, how is it working for you? Is it resulting in seeing everybody equipped to stand on their own two feet spiritually? Not needing somebody to spoon feed them any longer, but every Christian able to read their Bible for themselves and enjoy God. Every Christian knowing how to handle temptation and knowing what to do when they're struggling with sin. Every Christian enjoying a prayer life. You can stand on your own two feet spiritually. Because if you're going to lead somebody else, you just can't be constantly needing to be spoon fed. You'll be able to have, you'll be have an ongoing relationship where you continue to be fed by others, but you need to get to the place where you can teach others. A discipleship plan in which we're constantly, uh, in which we know how to disciple other Christians and teach them what we are learning. And a discipleship plan in which we're constantly inviting non-Christian people into our life. And we're living an attractive life to non-Christians, which is inviting them in. There's lots of different models of discipleship out there. And by the way, I'm going to give a few examples and I'm not uh, trying to push any particular model or practice of multiplication tonight. The, the simple point I'm making is the principle, the principle of multiplication. Lots of different models of discipleship. Uh, some will be better than others, but whatever your plan is, do you have a plan first of all and is it working? And is that the priority? Not gathering crowds, not bigger buildings, not running complicated programs, Listen to what Neil Cole says. Ultimately, 
each church will be evaluated by only one thing, its disciples. Your church is only as good as its disciples. It does not matter how good your praise, preaching, programs or property are. If your disciples are passive, needy, consumerist and not moving in the direction of radical obedience, your church is not good. <laughs> Pretty harsh. doesn't uh, beat around the bush, says old Neil Cole. You know the story of Neil Cole? Neil Cole, back in 1990, he had a vision with a few friends to start a movement of house churches in America. Uh, and their vision was to see 50 churches, 50 house churches, planted in 10 years. Five years went by in their journey, and they realized that nothing much was happening with this vision of theirs. And so they shifted their focus from planting churches to reproducing disciples. And it was remarkable. They had a breakthrough relatively very quickly. By the end of 1999, they saw 10 churches planted in a single year. By 2001, that original vision which they had actually had been realised to their surprise. They saw 53 churches planted. Now they've become a house church movement all over the world. And they're seeing house churches just multiply. What was his breakthrough moment? Well, he says one of the, the big breakthrough was their discipleship. And he came up with his plan of discipleship, which he called a life transformation group. A life transformation group, you meet in groups of three every week. Every week, the group reads 20 or 30 chapters. Everybody reads 20 or 30 chapters. If somebody doesn't read the 20 or 30 chapters, the whole group reads it again. And they keep on, and it usually takes them three or four weeks, until everybody in the group has read those 20 or 30 chapters. And that's normal. They're not shaming people. It's actually a good thing because we're getting the word of God into us. And by four weeks, you know those chapters really well. And every week, you meet and you just discuss what you've read, how you've gone with those 20, 30 chapters. Then you answer about six or seven accountability questions which talk about your character and you give an honest answer to one another. And then you share your names with your non-Christian friends who you're praying for and you share them and you pledge that you will keep praying for your friends, uh, non-Christian friends, for all of that week. And that's a life transformation group. Sounds a bit full on, doesn't it? Yeah? Guess what? It's effective. If we're going to see multiplication, we need to invest deeply in discipleship. Discipleship that is really helping people grow. Disciple other people and multiply and reach out into the world. Second requirement is we need to boldly trust God and trust people with multiplication. Jesus trusted his 12 disciples. He says, I'm going to indwell you with my Holy Spirit. You will be my witnesses to the nations. He sent them and he gave them his Holy Spirit. But even before the cross, remember, he sent them out on mission trips. I want you to go and preach the kingdom of God and heal Judas Iscariot sent to preach and represent Jesus? Simon Peter, the brash, the uneducated, the slightly naive Simon Peter gone to represent Jesus? What a mess he would create. Doubting Thomas, few faith issues not sorted out yet, sent to declare and preach the kingdom of God. 
72 disciples sent in advance of where Jesus was yet to go, it says. And Jesus, we might think it would be wiser if Jesus went there first and then he could explain some, some sort of apprentices are following after them. Don't mind them if they make too many mistakes. But no, Jesus sends them first and then comes and cleans up their mess. One occasion, we know that the disciples got it horribly wrong. They were trying to cast a demon out of a boy and they couldn't. And so it says they were standing there having an argument with the religious leaders. They thought that would be something to fill their time, to have an argument with the religious leaders. And then Jesus shows up and he cleans up the mess. He sighs and says, oh, you've little faith. But Jesus trusts his disciples and he sends them out. Sends them out to multiply. He disciples and then he deploys. And then he debriefs, brings them back in. Let's talk that through. And then sends them out again. There's a guy called uh, Rich Atkinson. Uh, In 2007, he was leading uh, a youth group in one of the toughest areas of England. Very non-Christian, secular area, low socioeconomic area. Uh, And he had a youth group of about 50 kids. And he was just trying to put on big youth group events like the other big churches around him. And he realized that something, somehow it just wasn't working. They sat down and they realized they had problems. They had most of their kids coming to their youth group, didn't live in the local area. They came from a a distance away. Their parents had to drive them in. And they were Christian kids who get driven in. About half of their youth group were those. And then the other half were kids from the local area who, totally different culturally, very rough, uneducated kids, hard to handle. And he was trying to, he's got these two different types of kids in his youth group and they just weren't gelling. And he realised that actually most of my kids, they're living double lives. They, they talk the talk when they're at church, but when they're at school, they, you, know, you wouldn't know they're Christian at all. Their solution was to change their vision and strategy for youth group. Instead of a big event each week, uh, in which they tried to get as many kids come as possible, their vision became the creation of a number of different small youth groups. Each youth group would have no more than 30 kids, roughly three leaders each. Each youth group have their own unique flavour to cater for the kids in that particular youth group. And then every now and then, all the different little youth groups would come together to have a big celebration as a crowd. They started out from that initial youth group with three youth groups, One based around the church, the church kids. Another in a predominantly Muslim community, reaching out to Muslim kids. And another in a very needy area. And each youth group, their their pattern for each youth group was four stages. Make contact with the kids, build a community of the kids, call them to commitment to Christ, and then commission them to start a new youth group. Raise up new leaders to start a new youth group. Well, over five years, those three initial youth groups multiplied into 45 youth groups. Astonishing, isn't it? Reaching over 800 kids all over their city. I'm not saying that this is the model for all youth groups, which all youth groups have to follow. That's a very different mindset, isn't it? Multiplication of disciples. Sending out. 
There are exciting stories which are emerging from some uh, of you know amongst the decline of the church in the West. There are some exciting stories emerging. Jeff Vanderstelp, he uh, he started a, a network of churches called Soma Family of Churches in, back in 2003, with a hugely uh, heavy emphasis on reproducible discipleship. Uh, now there's 27 Soma churches in America, and also. Uh, scattered throughout the world. I, I believe there's uh, two or three even in Australia. Uh, Dave Ferguson, he's the president of the Exponential Conference. Uh, he started a, a, a church planting movement called the New Thing Network. And he's seeing a real movement of church planting churches. J.D. Greer, uh, if you've heard of J.D. Greer, um, growing in prominence as an American leader, uh, he's just written a book called Gaining by Losing. And they set as their goal to plant 100 churches, uh, 1,000 churches by 2050. How do you do that? You do it by teaching churches to reproduce churches to reproduce churches. They've already planted 113. And they take in an intake of church planters every year to be trained out and to be sent out. It's exciting stuff. It's inspirational stuff, these stories. But... They can be um, slightly depressing too, can't they? Because it sort of makes it sound uh, start, like starting churches uh, is just like you know, baking cupcakes. You know, just put it in the oven, follow it, and out, out comes ten. It's not simple, of course. Uh, amazing multiplication like that is always the work of God. Wow. It's God intervening in amazing ways. It comes as a result of effective discipleship, which is messy. It's time-consuming. We may be working with ineffective models which we've just inherited. Looking at my life, looking back, I don't think, as I would define discipleship now, I don't think I was ever properly discipled as a young Christian. And I've sort of had to learn, well, what does discipleship actually look like? And how do I need to disciple other people? How do I do that? It may well be the case that with every grand sort of vision and vision statement and goal of planting, multiplying churches, you know, for every story of success, there's 20 stories of miserable failure. That may well be the case. But... You know, my purpose in sharing these stories tonight and talking about this vision of multiplication, it's not, just, it's not to imply, oh, there's some missing ingredient, there's some model, if we just got that right, then, oh, you know, revival would break out in northern Brisbane. Of course, it's more complicated than that. But having said that, I do believe that we can learn a lot from our American friends over there, can't we? Maybe we are setting our sights way too low. Maybe we are content with far less than with what God has in mind. God's vision has always been for growth by multiplication. He called Peter one day and he said, Peter, come follow me. Pull up your nets and see what you got there. Fish. Bursting out of the net. 
And he said, Peter, you're going to catch men from now on. And that picture you've seen of a net bursting out with fish, that's what you can expect. Healthy things grow and multiply. That's the normal condition. So call me an idealist if you like. Call me slightly naive. But I'd like to think that we should expect, even here in secular Australia, uh, this should start becoming a normal experience for Christian churches. So, what's the way forward? Well, we look to God. We pray, pray, pray for his intervention and we get busy discipling people well. And then we trust God and we trust the people that God has given us and send them out, deploy them for service. Disciple, deploy. Disciple, deploy. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much that you have shone light into our hearts to see this vision you have, your heart. You have sent Jesus to be our king, to die for us and to rise again, to open open up to us the kingdom of God. And you have this desire for Brisbane to bring your kingdom, your kingdom of righteousness, of truth, of joy, of peace, of love, of freedom, of forgiveness. And Father, you have chosen to indwell us with your Holy Spirit so that we should be agents of your kingdom. We thank you for this privilege. Father, would you, would you show us how you want us to do that? What's our next steps forward? Uh, in your agenda, in your plan. Lord, I particularly want to pray for this great church here. I thank you for them. I thank you for the witness they have in this community. And Lord, I just want to pray that you would bless these people, this congregation, and and use them. Show them your way. Uh, May they shine as a light. And may they see a real multiplication of your work, of your kingdom. Seeing many people being brought in and many people being sent out to do your kingdom work. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.